Hey, this is Mark Parrish here from Northland Vodka, and you are listening to the Soda Pod. And welcome back in hockey fans. Another episode of MNCAA post regionals and shall we say previewing the frozen four. I'm just kidding. We're not going to preview that just yet. We're going to save that for next week, but we are going to talk all things uh, Minnesota regional. I know it wasn't Fargo, but it really was a Minnesota regional. Who gives a shit? So um, welcoming into our panel, Noah Grant, Alex Micheletti, Drew Cove, Max Beach, and Ryan. Uh, really what this is, is Alex, Max, and Ryan are here just for spectators' perspective. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, this is all about the Gophers. Really, so sorry. Am I, I here for comic relief too. or something? Or? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm here for comic relief. Uh, but it, it was kind of a dud, though, for the, you know, outside the Fargo Regional. Um, a lot of folks who, uh, Max, and maybe I'll open this with you, for those who are complaining about bracket integrity, they may have an argument just based on the scoreboard. Holy cow, was this a blowout in a lot of cases? Yeah, I mean, they, they had originally had all of the, the Big Ten teams lumped in that one regional. You had the Penn State-Ohio State matchup before you had to move them out, and then or Minnesota in there as well. And when you had, you know, the four Penn, or the four Big Ten teams um, outscoring their opponents 36-4 to in that first round, it was just, you know, not great hockey to watch after the first 20 minutes in most of those games. And so, you know, maybe we would have had a little bit more fun on Thursday, Friday if we would have kept them... Um, Group together at least a little bit. You little mean bit. you mean you guys didn't have the minus forty eight goal differential for the first eight games <laughs> on your scorecard? Come on, <laughs> I did not. In fact, no, I don't think anybody really thought that it was going to be that lopsided, right? And Ryan, I want to bring you on this because you've covered college hockey for some time, and you know, despite that, I'm not sure how else you could have framed the bracket, and I'm not sure with just the way that the top ten teams had been playing. I'm not sure no matter how you you know shuffle the deck of cards, you would have gotten a much different result than it did. Do you agree with that? It, it's interesting because some of the teams that were in the regionals, I thought I was not surprised that they got blown out as bad as they did. The other ones, it's like you could make the case it was a little bit of a surprise. The big surprise for me was that Canisius actually played the best <laughs> against one of their teams they're facing. <laughs> yeah. I I mean they were right there with the Gophers to the first two periods. That major not been called. Who knows how that would have ended? Minnesota probably still would have probably prevailed, but it would have been a really close game. But I, yeah. when I looked at the blowouts, I looked at the the seeds that were playing. I'm not surprised Colgate got blown out like they did. I did not expect 11-1, but I'm not surprised that they got blown out. I'm not surprised Michigan Tech got blown out. I'm not surprised. I'm a little surprised about Harvard. Yeah, yep. that's where I lost. But the the eight one thing that was kind of really shocking, um, considering how I have East Coast reporters telling me how great Harvard was this year and they <laughs> forgot to show up. So I, I think there's I think there's only so many teams that would have actually dodged that that could have gotten into the tournament. Um, some people ask me, oh, if Northern Michigan had beat Mankato, would they have fared better? And I'm well, they probably would have scored, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but like, I, I, it would probably have been the same result. It would have been like a, it would have been like a eight-two win or like a, you know, something like that. It wouldn't have been. They would have scored, but it still would have been horrible. So, I, it, it was just, it was a weird. 
and I don't think also that I don't think this is going to be a trend. Some people are talking and saying, oh, this is the Big Ten's just going to blow everybody out year after year after year. And it's like, no, this is just how it was set up this year. It was just, a, you know, the Big Ten was really good and a lot of other teams just couldn't keep up. But I don't think that's going to be a problem next year or in the coming years either. So just a weird first round. Overall. Very weird first run, and Alex, since uh, we need to go off, yeah, that, that's a lot to digest there, Ryan. But uh, Alex, <laughs> uh, I suppose since uh, your team got shut out, uh, we should give you the floor here. Um, let's actually talk about St. Cloud Mankato, right? Um, this was, uh, I suppose, a different game than, say, just the scoreboard indicates, uh, because really, for the first 30 minutes of that contest, it was all Mankato for all bets off, right? Yeah, I was shocked um, because all season the Mavericks have been outplayed in the first period. And then they come out in this game and just were, you know, guns a blazing. And they just, you know, it was the same issue that they had in the, um, you know, in the second period of the national championship game last year against Denver. They just couldn't find the second goal. In this case, they couldn't find, you know, a goal um, after just, you know, just domination. And the penalty by Brendan Furry. Uh, completely changed the game. Uh, you know, St. Cloud was able to get on the power play and they converted. And then with these with these two teams, um, they shut it down with the best of them. And then St. Cloud just packed it in. And, you know, Mankato just, I think they ran out of gas and they, they couldn't, couldn't, couldn't finish at all, um, which was disappointing. But, you know, you have to give credit to, you know, Brett Larson. He had a perfect game plan and they blocked, what, 24 shots or something like that? Just insane. Yeah. yeah, insane numbers. And Caster was incredible, too. So, you know, hats off. Uh, you know, to a lot of those uh, veteran uh, players on St. Cloud, they, they uh, were uh, fantastic. And Noah, let's, let's bring in the St. Cloud perspective because I think if you're a Huskies fan, you did not like the first 20 minutes. Uh, you probably didn't like the first 10 minutes of the second period. Again, as Alex mentioned, we talked about it uh, yesterday when recording the Warming House podcast that really that, that penalty was a game changer and not just the fact that the penalty was taken, the fact that they converted, right? If they don't convert on that power play, I'm not sure we're having exactly the same conversation, but that really shifted momentum and really woke up the Husky squad. Yeah, I'd say I would go as far as to mentioning, I don't even know that I like the first 40 minutes, to be honest with <laughs> you, from St. Cloud. I mean, really, that was Mankato's game to lose, and they ran into a hot goaltender, which um, is ironic considering Mankato. That was their MO for years and years with Dryden McKay, and they didn't have to have a lot of goal support. And this year, what kind of bit them all season came back to bite them again is that they didn't have goal support, right? So um, as we've got airplanes taking off in the background here, um, I, I – the, the thing about St. Cloud is they played probably a complete 60 minutes over the course of the weekend. I would say 20 minutes in the Mankato game and the final 40 in the game against the Gophers. But that's tournament hockey. Sometimes you're going to have a game where you've got to ride a goaltender. You know, Max has given me a good smile here. How many times has Duluth used Hunter Shepard? At times. For over a decade, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, Ryan Fanti, uh, even Stayskull at times, too. I mean, you've got guys that have to step up in those big moments uh, for Minnesota the next game. It was Justin Close who kind of stole the show in that hockey game, too. So overall, in that first contest, it was a game changer for the power play, which has bolstered St. Cloud all year. But really... St. Cloud started the process two weeks prior against Duluth, and they finally found their footing, maybe even three weeks prior in the last regular season matchup. They found their footing. They didn't really look back besides that 5-1 clunker in the quarterfinals, and they just ended up running into the best team in the country the next night. 
Speaking of the best team in the country, Drew, we tend to bring you into the conversation because uh, let's just say Gophers fans were biting their nails a little bit uh, in the third as this was uh, within a shot uh, of Canisius and like uh, St. Cloud and Mankato. Uh, a penalty sort of got things settled in for the Gophers. Uh, were you as nervous as the rest of Gopher Nation or you know what, what, what was going through your head? I wasn't necessarily nervous, but I didn't like what I saw for most of the game. And yeah, I mean, the Minnesota fatalistic uh, notion kind of came across just about everybody after that first period. It was like tied and everyone was like, all right, the sky is falling. This is over. It's Holy Cross again. I, I We just need to I, I already want to stop watching. That's basically was like the whole that seemed like like the whole mentality of that first game. But um, they put it together uh, once they kind of got their feet under them. It definitely looked like they were kind of slow out, out of the gates. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it was just a very in interesting game at one point obviously being that the, uh, the team that was in the almost the bottom third of the pairwise hung with the gophers and then all of a sudden uh, a, a major penalty later and they're like all right yeah we remember we can score and we can do it every like 30 seconds if we want so um and they did that and that was just an incredible uh sequence to kind of uh ease some gopher fans uh uh brains up until they realized the game was over and then they had to play St. Cloud, which uh, everyone was really nervous about again. So, um, but I, I, it did seem like even in that game against St. Cloud, I don't think a Gopher fan could really have, I mean, up until the first goal, maybe in that period between the, the drop of the puck and that first goal for the Gophers, it didn't seem like there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, um, I guess just a lot of, uh, off i mean you didn't feel nervous <laughs> there was there was definitely some nerves uh and and i wonder this and, and this is where i want to bring in alex ryan and max for this part because you know when when you're in a situation like the number one team in the country was uh, st cloud fans we've been here where aic yep shut up nick i don't care uh wasn't great right but you start to think okay if you keep this close right uh there's a chance that an upset can happen right um, Max, when you were watching this game, did you ever get the sense that Minnesota was ever like that direly in trouble? Um, and when I, and maybe I should go it this way. Um, if Canisius had kept it that close, was, was really there at that big of a chance or were you expecting the Gophers to break out at some point? Uh, I was always expecting the Gophers to break out at some point, but after that first 20 minutes, seeing how close the game was actually being played. I thought Canisius played the only way that you can beat the Gophers, and that was beat them to the puck and beat them off the puck. They were playing a very physical game. Some uncalled calls or lack thereof were pretty questionable for some people. But after Canisius scored that second goal and had a lead, I mean, the building was absolutely quiet. It was dead silent. You could hear it. Who does he want to hear? He left the podcast. Yeah, know. I mean, there was <laughs> there was an, an uproar, a riot already happening on the the streets of of the internet. Whatever you know, venue you wanted to look at, there was just mayhem and people you know tucking their heads away already. But I, I feel like as soon as you saw that five minute major come around, you knew that the floodgates were open. As soon as you had one of those goals go in, you saw the the mood completely change, and it absolutely did. I mean, they poured it on right after that to score that many goals in one period after that start has to be like such a relief for the guys, and I think that set the tone for them for the rest of the tournament too. Alex, you know, when we look at situations, you know, like the Gophers and like St. Cloud, right? Uh, when we talk about first rounds and, and that first playoff game right, where you know what's one and done right um did we see a lot of the nerves 
or was it really just an offset of skill this year of why we saw these, you know, shall we say eight to nothing, 11 twos, um, you know, as part of that nerves too, or is it really just the skill disparity on display for the first round this year? I think the skill disparity was just incredible. I mean, you, you saw a guy like uh, Bryce Brodzinski uh, just completely dominate. You know, he, he had a really slow uh, start to the year, um, you know, very streaky. And then, you know, the depth just shined for the for the Gophers. And when they want to take it over, they, they can do that. Um, they, they are far and ahead of everybody except for Michigan, which I think everybody wants to see that final matchup between those two teams because they just have the, the most talent. And some of these guys we're going to be seeing uh, in the NHL next season, which is going to be a lot of fun just to you know, see their progression from, from college to the, to the pros. So I think it was just one of those years where, you know, some of the teams just had you know, superior talent over uh, some of these teams that were good enough to make the NCAA tournament. But when they were able to, you know, face these other conferences, you know, then it was not even close, you know, close to comparison for talent. I mean, there's so, a good chance we see some of them this season. Right. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Um, before we get into the Gopher St. Cloud matchup, Ryan, I want to ask you this. Uh, because I think all of us, including uh, Marissa, who is not able to be with us tonight, uh, along with Christian, we're rooting for Alaska to be in this field, right? I, I think all of us in the college hockey world, uh, and then because of their being an independence, and then other things happened where they essentially got pushed out last second. Um, but seeing the score disparity that we saw, and there's been talk about expanding the playoffs. Does this change that argument at all, or do we still feel like 16 teams is the right way to go? Or do we still want to expand it to 2024 teams? I feel like you should. You still need to expand it. I feel like, like I said earlier, this is just kind of a anomaly. I don't see these blowouts happening again next year or the year after that. You know, there's more and more teams that are adding programs. I would have loved to see Alaska in here. And there's so many <laughs> – bitter Alaskan fans that are just like, we would have fared better. We wouldn't have gotten shut out, which, you know, if you had fighter jets, like they did in that one thing, you know, they wouldn't have <laughs> but you know, we all saw what they did to the big 10 campuses in that video. So it's, um, I, I think we escape a sidewinder missile last time I checked. Oh, <laughs> oh, very much so. Especially when the polar bear has sunglasses and, you know, is in the danger zone. But I think this is bankroll too. I'm sure it was the got... CEO of the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it needs to get to 20. I think 24 maybe eventually what it'll get to, but I think you need to add a few more just because there's more and more teams added. And you know, there's a lot of teams that, you know, you look at Colgate who got into the tournament that by winning their tournament, but probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. You got them in there, and then you got Canisius, who put up a good fight against Minnesota. We could say, like, were they really the best Atlantic hockey representative to be there? And so I feel like you you, you got to add um, you got to add it to twenty teams. I think that adds a little extra element, and it helps expand it. You know, you got another round of money to make. You know, for the respective arenas and to hype it up a little more. So I think it'll eventually expand at some So let's, let's do this because uh, I know there's a lot to digest with St. Cloud, Minnesota, but I want to continue on this train, right? Because uh, Noah, I want to go to you first. Uh, the, the host regionals, you were in Fargo uh, in attendance in that arena. It was a packed house, right? Mm -hmm. um, first of all, 
Um, I'm not sure if we caught the other regionals, but was that the atmosphere that you were a hoping for and be should be uh, for a fan to, to be able to walk into for a college hockey regional final and semifinal? Was that was it what you would hope to see and in, in, in to experience? Yeah, I mean, a bit too much maroon and gold, if we're being honest. But I mean, <laughs> all, all, all things considered, I mean, it was a fantastic crowd. I mean, it was loud and I actually got stuck on the end where most of the Gopher fans were. So that was interesting, too. Um, so, yeah, no, the crowd was perfect. And that's the perfect size building, I think. I think if you're hitting around five, 6,000 people at a regional and you you have the bracket as appropriate as you can get it, you're going to get some sort of similar attendance. I know, like, for example, I think it was Allentown. I think they're at or Bridgeport. They're at 10,000 for their attendance in their arena, right? So, um, you know, you have the challenge, too, of you can have great teams. There are teams that are good based on regionality, but at the same time, filling 10,000 seats is a lot harder than filling 5,400, right? You know, so that's almost, I'm very bad at math, but I know that's almost twice the number of seats that Fargo holds. Uh, So yeah, the crowd was perfect. Um, The energy was perfect. Uh, You know, everything about that game was awesome, except for, you know, one aspect that I think we'll probably talk about, but um, yeah, no, if every regional could get to that point where you're, you're sitting, I would say 80% capacity or higher for most of the games, I would call that a success for the NCAA because you're going to get some like Minnesota Canisius. If that game's out in Loveland, Colorado, how many people are really going to that game? Let's be honest. But, you know, it it ended up working out well because Minnesota was so close and it ended up being, I would say, probably the best attended regional out of the four. And, and Drew, to, to kind of close out this uh, this conversation, too, uh, the regional semifinals, right? St. Cloud and Mankato and the Minnesota Canisius. Um, what half capacity maybe at best so uh regional final obviously ge- you know geography i think played a bar uh, a big part in this but say this is the scenario like noah right is this an argument's sake that there's still money being left on the table about the ncaa but not allowing shall we say the host teams to put it in their building right is there an argument to be made still there that the NCAA is still missing the mark yeah i think so you know it's just you see what the big 10 did and i know we talked about this in previous podcasts too but we saw how how much of a failure the Big Ten tournament was um, as a departure from the WCHA Final Five, which was arguably, I mean, it's a model, and everyone still talks about how successful of a tournament that was because everyone showed up and the X was packed and everyone did the same thing that they do for the high school tournament. Like, look, look at this. Look at all these people showing up for, like, Minnesota Duluth versus Bemidji. Like, look at this. All these people in a, in a town that's – three and a half hours from like the next the, the, where the closest team plays and it would still be full. But, and uh, yeah, Minnesota, just the big 10 just couldn't figure it out. Um, and then they figured it out with campus sites. They kind of relented there. I do think the NCAA is going to have to relent at some point just to get more, more people attending the games. Um, but Noah, back to your point too. It's like, Oh yeah. All these regionals, they, this is the best one attended yet. I still think like a lot of the teams were still like, comparatively like relatively in the east coast obviously a lot of those teams are a lot closer and it's just amazing to it's amazing to me how a lot of those fan bases that are really close to like those eastern regionals and they still don't travel as well as the Gophers did to fargo it's like your regional is so close you like taking like you could take the train there i don't know you probably could like take some like weird east coast high speed rail thing i have no hop on over there but like or still, like, carriage if you're in Pennsylvania, if all you it's get there. Like, so. If I'm an East Coast team and I was in an East Coast regional, I'd be embarrassed that the Fargo regional was like the most attended one. 
like because mm-hmm. Minnesota is close to Fargo, like, but if you look at the just the, the distance, the actual distance, it's still like, a four hour drive. Yeah, it's it's a really long way, and that's like a lot of dedication from a lot of Gopher fans to go, especially when a lot of them were like, "Oh, we're probably we might not win this," or like even though we're the number one overall seed, but it's it was just astounding to me. But I think they got to do that, it, maybe to get more people in those towns. If like people from Boston don't want to leave Boston proper, then you know what? I mean, I guess. The the NCAA is is good at catering to the East Coast teams. Maybe they gotta they gotta do a little bit more of that for the campus sites. I enjoy how you guys said that four hours was far away. That's like my nearest neighbor around here. So I mean, <laughs> to each West versus East, man. It's actually, you know what's interesting world. is is actually so from where I'm at in Minot to Fargo is actually the same distance. So you go to the Twin Cities, it's an eight hour drive, and Fargo is right smack in the middle of it. So I mean, you can. And you look at the proximity of Fargo. Let's say you're a Gopher fan, or heaven forbid, North Dakota makes the tournament again, and they're in Fargo, um, and you're in South Dakota. I mean, that's close proximity to Sioux Falls and things like that as well, too. So, like, just the geography, be what the hell just happened here? Yeah, <laughs> I was a two-time GOB champion. Fun fact. Yeah. Fun yes. fact. That was Fun probably fact. like long. I was anyway twenty years ago. So, I mean, yeah. we're talking uh, about attendance stuff, and we talked about this a little bit offline, but it's like what you mentioned drew a little bit of east versus west mentality everybody in the midwest it seems like you're much more prone to doing like road trips and driving Mm and you know three hours is no big deal to jump in a car but if it's over two like if it's two hours and one minute i feel like people on the east coast are either flying or just not going and i mean that's that's kind of shown their their willingness to go even attend hockey games in general is shown by attendance just records this season um i posted a little bit a while ago the top 20 13 of them are all, you know, Western schools. If you want to count the the Big Ten, CCHA, and NCHC, your Western schools, and the other three, your Eastern schools. 13 of your top 20 are Western schools. Um, one is independent, and that's Arizona State. And then the other six are your Eastern schools. Only one of those six Eastern schools, which are all way low on the list, was able to go over 80% attendance on the year. Whereas of those 13 Western schools, only one was under 80% attendance. So I just... It pains me to see the committee force feed the Northeast hockey when they have proven that they don't value it as much as other people. Is there an argument to be made for um, traffic in the East Coast? Like just random question, you know? Yes and no, but then you have to also weigh, well, look at your population density. Even if you have half the amount of people that are going, you have so many more people. Yeah. I don't know. There's there's a lot of people who were surprised, including me, that, you know, BU is playing in a regional that's in Manchester, which is some people are saying like what an hour. <laughs> I think an they hour. mentioned it on the broadcast. It's eighty miles, yeah. 80 yeah. miles. <laughs> just over an hour, and you couldn't even get that many people to show up. And BU has got a like a big fan base. At least they say yep. they do. And so it's <laughs> and you think there'd be a lot of alums spread out, like, yeah. like Michigan yeah. or like North yeah. Dakota. Like that's like the 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 Fighting Hawks fans don't travel to Mariucci. They all just live in the Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah, and like let's not forget too, BU. It's not like they were number fourteen in the pairwise and just snuck into the tournament. They have a good team. Oh yeah, we're two yeah. seed. Yeah, Frozen Four team. If for last check. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of Frozen Four, right? Let's talk about how um, our last team standing from the state got there. Right? It was the Huskies versus the Gophers. Alex, I'm going to start with you. Um, your reaction to the game and uh, what you saw from both sides. Yeah, St. Cloud tried to do the same game plan that they did against Mankato, um, and they hung on for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, um, like we talked about earlier in the episode, the superior talent just kind of took over. I mean, that 
stretch pass that Jackson Lacombe made to Logan Cooley was the game changer. It was just in the incredible all world play. And, you know, they just couldn't get one by Justin close. They were, you know, close a couple times. And I I think they hit one off the pipe too. And so, yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal hockey game though. You can't, you can't fault St. Cloud's effort. You know, they, they gave it their best. Um, and you know, it's just, uh, you could tip your hat to Motsko's club and, uh, yeah, we'll see what they do in the frozen four. Uh, Ryan, what did you see in that, in that contest? I, I saw a team that played better than a lot of people thought they would. I think that was St. Cloud. They just, you know, I was wavering between St. Cloud and Mankato during that game, whether it should be St. Cloud or Mankato. And I ultimately went with St. Cloud and they came to play the Gophers and they, for the most part, played pretty well, I thought, overall. And it just, there was that one moment, like Alex said, and it just kind of turned the tables and St. Cloud was just trying to fight to catch up. And it was it was disappointing that that's how this game ended and how their season ended, but uh I thought they played pretty well overall. I thought it was a great regional. Um, it was, <laughs> I thought it was the best played regional, which yes, I feel, was. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, best attended regional, best played regional, you know, it was, it was just a good experience in Fargo. And I'd wish I'd been there cause I had three friends who were there and they had the time of their lives. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think it was a great experience and I thought St. Cloud played pretty well overall. So, so Max, I have a feeling that you know whatever question I tee you up with, I'm going to get some type of failed response. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I suppose, uh, what did you see in that contest? Was Saint Cloud as close as it was, or did the scoreboard uh, give us you know a little bit more to be desired? Watch yourself, Max. Uh, as much as I want to rag on you guys and kind of rub it in a few select fans' faces, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the high road here as a a well-deserved you're going to take uh, the high road like injured tower is okay cool I, 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 okay cool. well yeah um no i mean it was it was a much closer game than than i honestly thought it would be i think shots ended up being one or two apart from one another um i thought st cloud state was going to have to take some some pretty um necessary penalties and they took one necessary one but the other ones were kind of incidentals along the way uh, minnesota had like three or four in a row and it seemed like one of those times the, the huskies been a breakthrough there and um, I was just kind of waiting for it to to unravel one way or the other, and it just kind of was a steady pace. And I think the Gophers did have much better opportunities and chances. We already talked about the breakaway; they captured or they um, capitalized on the opportunities they had in front of them. And I, I think we touched on it earlier. Like you, you had the hot goaltender and caster on the first night of the 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 regional there, and then you ran into Justin Close, who was playing a really really good game positionally and both making some pretty big saves out of position um the gophers I, I don't remember who it was it was nevers or somebody else was just laying his body on the line for a wide open net that ended up saving a, a goal there as well so um minnesota or the big 10 schools i should say not necessarily known for laying their body on the line and you know kind of playing that that higher scoring game uh, they did just that in this game i mean they had both the scoring and the the sacrifice from defenders and other people so uh, I thought they deserved to win. It wasn't one of those games where you saw some fluke kind of bail a team out or anything. They deserved it, but it was, like I said before, very, very close, and it wouldn't have been necessarily um, upsetting to see St. Cloud move on. So, Drew, let's, let's, let's talk about a key to the game, right? And, yes, they highlighted the breakaway. And, I, you know, you talk about an overall class play, Lacombe to Cooley, both of them, uh, Cooley splitting the D and Lacombe in essentially a transition play, right? Uh, finding them and making a perfect pass, I mean, 
not much you can do about that, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to go to a point where this game could have been tied. It's uh, it's uh, the Huskies pushing in the third. Uh, a puck bounces across the crease. It's Kyler Kuka uh, that's got a wide open cage. Puck is bouncing. What happens if that puck goes in? I I do think the Gophers. I I I gotta think that the way they they were playing in that game, I don't think it phases them that much. Um, just because of how I think clinical they were for most of the game, um, they mitigated so many chance, so many chances against, and I think they they just did a really good job of taking advantage of the of the mistakes or the opportunities that they got that were really high danger, i.e. the Cooley uh, breakaway. Um, but yeah, that could have. I feel like it could have shaken some confidence in some of the guys up front, but I think for Justin Close, he's going to say I had not a lot of chance I had at that. I mean, I was diving anyways, and it's I don't think it's something that would phase him anyway. I don't think a lot of goals have seemed to phase Justin Close this year um, that he's given up. But, um, yeah, that could have turned things uh, pretty quick. It could have given St. Cloud some more motivation too because I think while they were playing extremely well, I think they were just like, man, they just kind of were gripping their sticks to where, like, they just could not score. And it was, uh, yeah, just a very – could could have been a real big turning point, but uh, the Gophers then went down the ice, and like Alex mentioned, the the breakaway to, from Lacombe to Cooley, the faceoff win from Cooley back to Lacombe and the bomb from the point. I think that was the absolute sealer right there. That that I think that put in the hearts of everybody that said, "Okay, St. Cloud's not coming back," and that was just a really, really, really important goal, and uh, especially not too long after that, uh, at, after that open net chance. Say, so, uh, no, I want to. I want to actually touch base on this because everybody knows, uh, or I should say, the headlines or the narratives on the Gopher team is Cooley, Snuggerud, Nyes as the offensive, right? But three-one lead. I mean, two goals. It's not insurmountable by any means. But if there's anything that the other three teams in the Frozen Four that are going to have to take account as this Gopher squad showed that, um, yes, they've got the you know superior offensive element, man. When they got that two goal cushion, they defended it pretty well. Yeah, I I still wouldn't say though, and like I'm not saying this just as a bitter St. Cloud fan. I don't know that Minnesota's defensive puck management. Were, would, but like seriously, I like I'm not. I don't know that Minnesota's defensive puck management was that exactly stellar in that hockey game. To be honest with you, it was good. Don't get me wrong. That's why they're one of the best teams in the country. But from what we've seen from their sample size throughout the season, part of that was, and you and I talked about this in our show, Nick, is the pucks did not settle down for either group. Uh, you know, just very lively off the boards. We had a conversation on our show last night, Nick, where I talked to some of the people in the know, and they were saying that it seemed there was an issue with the way the pucks were actually being frozen in that regional so that there was so actually... Be, so beyond the pucks battle, right? What about, you know, structural wise? What about what well, the Gophers that you find qualms in what where's there a hole well it i don't know if there's a hole like i said i just i from what we've expected of them throughout the year i don't know as the game went along that they necessarily managed the puck as well as they did when they started that game if you look at that hockey game shots are 14 to 6 in favor of minnesota in the first period they should have been up for nothing i mean the gophers were all over st cloud middle period was exactly even what a great play by lacombe to cooley and like you mentioned that bomb in the third was the dagger i maintain the idea I think if St. Cloud ties that game, I think all bets are off. And Minnesota has the ability that they've shown all year to flip a switch, make a play like they had for that breakaway in the second, 
to flip a hockey game on its head like that. But Minnesota was reeling in the third period. I thought St. Cloud finally got to their game and not only where they established transitional play, but they were winning puck battles and sustained zone time in the offensive zone. And you kind of got the feeling that if St. Cloud did pop one, we might have been headed to overtime. Shots were 22 to 16 over the last two periods in favor of St. Cloud against the number one team in the country. So that's where I maintain that idea that St. Cloud had no answer for the forecheck and the transitional play in the first 20, 25 minutes of that game. And then they slowly started to figure out that Minnesota defense. Not a lot of teams can say that. I would say the only team that consistently could probably say that is Michigan that has really had that opportunity to do that this season. So, but nonetheless, it didn't really matter. St. Cloud one for five on the power play. I will maintain as the game went along, the officiating got worse and worse and the Gophers could have earned about two or three extra calls. I mean, they certainly had the foot speed and, you know, before the interference penalty at the tail end of the game, they should have called that trip (laughs) two minutes prior or whatever it was as well too. But nonetheless, I thought St. Cloud, it was one of their best efforts to finish a hockey game all season. I think if it's not Minnesota, I think if it's not Michigan and maybe throw Quinnipiac in there just because they're such a wild card, they might be in Tampa if they would have gotten any other opponent to go to the frozen four, but credit Minnesota. They're a good club. And you know, I maintain the idea that if a team beats you to go to the frozen four, you're going to cheer for them all the way. So I'm going to say best of luck to the Gophers. I'm going to be rooting for them for sure. Nick Tockett. Yes. Alex Michelotti. We're bringing you in on this because you know, sometimes the game of hockey has these weird turning points, right? And let's just assume St. Cloud ties it. Right. And, and I keep going back to this point because uh, we said it before, 401 doesn't tell the whole story. There was ups and downs on both squads. Uh, the Gophers really had St. Cloud pinned in the first 20 minutes. They had two four checkers up. They really couldn't figure out how to get the puck through the neutral zone. It was really bad uh, play by St. Cloud, really. There was no sustained offensive pressure. But you also get the sense, like with Minnesota and Kanishas, that sometimes if you just keep it close enough and you get a break, Sometimes, you know, in hockey, it's about bounces, right? If St. Cloud had got that bounce, like Noah said, you know, are we really that confident that Minnesota, although they probably felt in their heads, deserved that game and rightfully on paper and skill we know that they probably were the more superior team. But these one-off games tell us that anything can happen, right? Do you see a different outcome if that puck goes in this game's tied 2-2? Yeah, probably 100%. I mean, you take a look at uh, the Big Ten title game versus you know uh, Michigan for the Gophers. They they which did not play. Where the, the the Michigan defenseman got utterly twisted into an Annie's pretzel, or which one? Red Pitlick, uh, just a goat goal. Um, yeah. it, if you just imagine if he would have tossed his stick after that goal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are we sure Quinnipiac has not seen like that barstool Quinnipiac? They saw that they claimed their goal. That little floater goal was the best the goal. Value oh, one. No, yeah. yeah. Terrible. <laughs> No, yeah. absolute blast. <laughs> um, terrible. But yeah, this, this gopher team, they can get in lulls where they, um, they, they're kind of lazy with the puck and, but they, they, they know that their talent can bail them out. But mm-hmm. in these one-off games, like you said, chaos can happen. And so, you know, we'll see, uh, in the you know, smaller rink too, in that NHL, uh, uh, you know, where the lightning play, uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, how that goes. Uh, they're going to have to be a lot, you know, a lot better against Boston. I, th- I think Boston was, you know, the, those Hudson brothers are just, just amazing players. I mean, Lane for, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world and, you know, <laughs> he's just had a phenomenal season. He, he can fire the puck. And so, 
Um, yeah, credit to Jay Pondolfo uh, in his first year. I mean, at, at the end there, uh, you know, the BU was not getting the talent. And now, um, you know, with the new head coach, uh, you know, they're bringing in some elite players and uh, they're back to being a power. And it's BU's kind of the East Coast's only hope, really. I mean, Quinnipiac, you don't hear a lot of, but a lot of schools on that on the East Coast are down. Uh, you've never seen BC like this and Maine and just the powerhouses that you're used to. And so they're kind of the um, East Coast um, hope for, for a title, for sure. So because I want to save a Frozen Four preview for next week, guys, uh, yep. before we dive deep into that. But what I think we need to do is talk about some, shall we say, you know, what do you call it? Uh, sensitive subjects, especially if you are a Mike Hastings or a Brett Larson fan. <laughs> Um, so yes, we're going. There. I, I, I was so worried as to where exactly, we were headed right. with that. I gotta be honest with you. So, so Max, let's, let's look at this because you are the outside looking in, right? Um, it was reported by Todd, uh, is it, uh, is it Maluski, I believe that, uh, David Carl of Denver and Scott Sandler of, of, of Duluth <laughs> had confirmed that they uh had there's laughing here i know it's i know my face is laughable but shut up no no it has nothing to do with you is the fact that um anybody had even reached out to david carl uh, he's never leaving that spot until you push him out he's a denver guy he's, got he's not going anywhere that was a weird destination yeah. that's right. a destination yeah, yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day it does show a couple of things right uh it shows at least or at least wisconsin's trying to project that they're trying just about anything right because the mo for wisconsin's been i want an alumni tony granado the coach that just like oh was an alumni now granted if i did my mouth correctly only two seasons above 500 into seven years um so how about that right uh yeah. max now with the uh, and shall we say we have the information that uh both was, you know, wisconsin's reached out to both hastings and larson um if you're the two fan bases are you concerned at all that this is a job that they may find attractive I think you have to be concerned. Um, Wisconsin, as bad as they've been in the last couple of years, the the history that that program has is really, really rich. And like, who doesn't want to live in Madison, Wisconsin, and coach I for don't. a Big Ten program with I that do. budget and that <laughs> that that recruiting platform? I think the only easier recruiting platform you've got would be Arizona State with the new arena and everything else that they've got going on over there. But I mean, Madison is a beautiful spot. And as much as I like to, you know, kind of give a little grief to all my Wisconsin friends, but it is somewhere that the kids want to go, for lack of a better term, and just simplify it as much as possible. I just think that any coach would want to move there as well, just because the opportunity that presents itself for a little bit more national attention probably the money is a big thing as well thanks for the the hint there drew i mean it's <laughs> just, that one apparently so. it's, a, it's a wildly different scenario like st cloud don't get me wrong i love the minnesota school they have their own history uh don't necessarily have the championships to fall back on but they have a a good program there they just don't have the money that wisconsin does to throw around so getting out of st cloud also sounds pretty nice to me personally but I I don't I don't want to alienate. You can get all out of, of your own UMB bias right now. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just want Larson back. We get it. I know. I do want Larson back. I mean, some of the best years at UMD was when he was there helping out. But true. I mean, that's just a goes to show why they're interviewing him. He's he's gone from helping UMD be one of the most successful hockey programs in college hockey. He's built back St. Cloud. Not that they ever went too far down, but they built back St. Cloud to a national powerhouse. They are 
you know, as, as good as just about anybody in the NCHC, let alone all of college hockey. And a lot of that has to do with his recruiting and, and um, coaching style. And I would say the same thing for Hastings, like him and his staff have had some of the best recruits in the last four or five years, if not, uh, you know, a little bit Alex longer is than mad that. You take away his point. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you see both of those guys, you see what they've been able to do with the talent that they have and to give them a platform where they've got, even more attractive um, facility and program to kind of lure those kids into. Um, it is pretty obvious why why you would want them to go in there. And if we're being completely honest, those are the two names I've heard more than any of the others. And I have heard others, and it wouldn't necessarily shock me to see one of the other candidates take it. But I think, in my opinion, those are the two, 1A and 1B, that they want. Larson's not going anywhere. Uh, so besides uh, a, a salty Husky fan interrupting. No, really. No, really. If, if Brett Larson signs at Wisconsin, I will pattern my hair after him. I will shave my head. Oh, remember this. It's not going to happen. I don't see it. But 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 Ryan, let's let's actually talk about the Wisconsin perspective, right? Because the resurgence of the Big Ten, right? I mean, you know, holy cow, six of the top seven schools. It wasn't even close. Wisconsin, you know, a terrible start. Uh, sorry, Max, even that you still couldn't beat them, but I'm going to digress from that. Uh, I had to get a lick and that's fine. Um, but, you know, this is an opportunity, right? The Big Ten sees itself. And I think the school did this the right timing, right? You see a, a conference that essentially has emerged as the best conference in college hockey right now. They did surpass the NCHC. And, and mind you, cool little stat, right? NCHC since its inception. First year since 2013-14, they have not had a team in the Frozen Four. That's insane, right? Uh, that's one hell of a run. But, Steve, don't you think that, you know, for Wisconsin, despite the fact that uh, alumni status is supposedly a big thing with them, that now you have – it's more important that you have to bring in a coach that's got a proven track record of success of recruiting. you got to get results-based. Uh, are we going to see a change uh, of approach here, or do you think they revert back to their old ways of – uh, I need a Wisconsin alumni to run my program. I think they're doing the route that they should be doing. And that is, you know, as the report said, they're casting a wide net. You know, they're going after pretty much every successful coach. They're going All right, Rico, let's cut the PR. Going. Come on, let's give me the real answer. <laughs> <laughs> and, they're, you know, they're going, they, you know, wanted to go with Sandlin. They wanted to go with, you know, some of these other coaches that turned them down, like David Curl. But they're, Going in with their perspective that we're getting the right guy and we want this guy to be here for a long period of time. We want to get back to our glory days. And some schools are really focused on having an alum. And that doesn't necessarily translate into good coaching. There's a lot of alums that may be good players and maybe can help you recruit, but may aren't good coaches or are good coaches, but are terrible recruiters. So they want to get the right guy who has had a good track record and all the guys that they've listed have been pretty effective. You know, we, we've talked about all of them and they can do that. And, you know, there's been some people who are like, well, you think East coast guys would be into it. Or if there's an East coast job, would Western guys want to go over there? And it's a weird situation because if you recruit really heavily in the East, would you want to go West and have to basically start fresh and maybe try to get Eastern? If, if you have your own ground that you love to recruit in, you'd have to then go into a recruiting area that, you know, you're just not used to. And you'd have and to convince those players also to go West, which also is an extra selling point, right? Yeah, it is. 
<laughs> but I, I think I like Wisconsin's approach. I really do. They, I, they're going about it the right way. I think they're eventually going to get their guy. But is I think the Wisconsin job, it's not as enticing as it once was, you know, because when Wisconsin mm-hmm. was like one of the kings of the WCHA along with North Dakota and Minnesota and stuff like that, they've gone down for quite a bit. So you're going to have to do some rebuilding. So it's not quite the awesome job that used to be, but it's a very good job out there. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are interested in it and they'll get their guy. And I think Wisconsin will be back within a couple of years. So, so Micheletti, that brings us to the Mavericks side of things, right? Uh, Mike Hastings, uh, St. Cloud alum. I got to throw that out there, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, again, he's he's a he's apparently on the short list from all indications that we've heard from multiple people. Uh, but mind you, that's a short list on Wisconsin side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other half of that coin is: Does Mike Hastings see an opportunity or want something different, right? Um, but he, he was a run, national runner up last year. Uh, he's, you know, essentially built Mankato into a consistent top 10 team over the past couple of years. Uh, again, he gets recruits. So do you see him leaving? Do you see that this is an opportunity he would consider taking? Yeah. I mean, it's weird because he was a candidate for the Michigan state job too. And so, but they wanted to go with an alum. So, you know, that was their final choice and it looks like it's going to pay off here soon just with because you're also taking away umd players are freshmen and first round i mean working all right nightingale they they are the transfer portal kings right now they're just plucking the top guys out of the portal so oh you know they should be the spartans should you know get back in the ncaa they got space for them shortly (laughs) no kidding a lot of space (laughs) but i mean this this move whoever they pick it's going to have a gigantic butterfly effect uh within the minnesota schools uh because you know if they take brett larson uh do they go and get an alum with nick oliver or do they ask uh dave shyak who's right there who's been a head coach uh, for a long time and has a ton of coaching experience do they want to go with a vet compared to a younger guy and then same thing with Mankato. If they take Hastings um, in Wisconsin, does he bring Todd Cannot with him, or does Mankato say you're not leaving? We're, we'll we'll offer you more to be a head coach, and and then you know Todd Cannot finally gets to be a head coach, which he's wanted uh, to you know to have you know, for a while here, and you know he's one of the best recruiters in the country, as as Max mentioned that he took my point. So, um, but <laughs> but yeah, it's it's gonna be fascinating to watch. Um, the weird thing with Wisconsin with uh, Granado is a lot of his players, um, when they went to the NHL, they were better at in the NHL than they were at Wisconsin. So I don't know, you know, there, there seemed to be a disconnect with their development with, or they just think, you know, you know, see eye to eye with him. But you look at a guy like Keandre Miller, who's turned into a star with the Rangers and, you know, it, it, he's one of them, you know, a lot of examples. And so, yeah, it's it's obviously one of the best jobs in the country, and they can offer more money than anybody else. Um, and we'll we'll see if those two take it. Uh, you know, Matsko, no one ever thought he was going to leave St. Cloud, but it's you know it's tough when you're getting six hundred thousand thrown thrown in your face. So <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm I'm just fascinated just uh, because of what it will you know what will happen internally with those two programs. You know, if one of them takes it. 
Um, we're going to close with Drew's final comments, right? Uh, so, Drew, you're looking at this from uh, the Gophers perspective, right? Uh, St. Cloud uh, gave, you know, essentially Motsko his first head coaching gig. He turned a program that was uh, okay into a contender. Brett Larson has picked that up. Uh, you have Hastings, they, you know, essentially turned the purple cows into the purple people eaters of, of college hockey, right? Where they, they're good, right? You know, for what they can do from your perspective, a neutral perspective, I hope at least, uh, do any, do these two make the final three? Do you see one of them or you know, taking it? I mean, I guess, how, how do you see this playing out? Boy, I, I could see them. I could see both of them in the, in obviously the very final running for it. Cause yeah, like, like Beach said, like how, how can you turn out, turn down that kind of opportunity with like kind of the built-in cachet that they have and like, you got to be honest with the name like Wisconsin, at least the historical name of Wisconsin, you probably don't have to do as much work as much like really hard grunt work as you do it to get someone to go to live in Mankato, Minnesota, or to live in St. Cloud, Minnesota, like no offense to those places. I love both of those towns, but like they're a little bit more <laughs> off the beaten path than, than, uh, than Wisconsin, than, than Madison, Wisconsin. But, and like, just like, I mean, Bob's had the advantage of he's he's a good recruiter already at St. Cloud, but then you come to Minnesota and like you're gifted, you're just gifted some of these guys who just have always wanted to play for the Gophers, and like there are just there are players who are going to want to play for the Badgers, and it it helps that a lot of those players are really good, and uh, I think whoever takes the job is going to benefit that. But I do have to mention to Wisconsin, they got to consider taking another Gopher, another former Gopher, because I think the last time that worked out, Badger Bob Johnson, worked out pretty well. Worked out pretty, pretty well. So maybe uh, maybe a guy like Grant Patoni's on the list. I don't know. He's uh, probably not there yet. But, uh, I mean, they got to they gotta look at all their options. Even if they're just looking at a bunch of Minnesota coaches, they got to look at a former any former Gophers that are trying to trying to put their hat in the ring. Be I curious know, if – sorry, I, go ahead. No. I know Drew has bingo night, so we're rushed for time here. But um, <laughs> also, uh, Steve Raylick <laughs> at Ohio State. Yep there's a name that for whatever reason we haven't tossed around. And from what I've heard from a couple of people, it sounds like it might be his job to turn down. I mean, that's his alma mater too. I know he's heavily tied to Ohio state and they're building, you know, their new facilities out there too, but I wouldn't be shocked. I'm surprised they also haven't asked a guy like Mark Johnson, or maybe they have, and he's turned them down. He's built great success in the women's side too. So, but for me, Brett Larson, I think, is the safer of the two picks between Mankato and St. Cloud because I think he's got, what, five years left on his contract, and I think he's just so embedded in that culture, and he is kind Ask of Ask Bobby Bonilla how a contract um, all worked in his favor. I'm, I'm just saying, just my gut feeling, just knowing Brett and kind of who he is, I, I, I don't see him making that move as much as I think you know the opportunity is there. Um, I think he's got a good thing going at St. Cloud, and I think that might keep him there. I, I'm prepared to be wrong, but I'm prepared to shave my head if so, but that's my two cents. Can you do uh, it on we're gonna, the podcast if you're going to do it? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. So, <laughs> we'll, so we need to get a Barbasol shaving cream fund here started because I, you know, I think there's more of a chance than we give credit to. I really do. I think Brett and Hastings, in terms of the body of work, in terms of the recruiting, uh, obviously they're winning programs. I think both would be tops of Wisconsin's list. Uh, I, I know the Ohio State's coach has got his own winning ways too. Uh, curiously, if, if you're Wisconsin, here's the thing. You got options and really good options for a head coaching spot. You know, I think if you're in that program, you know you're going to be picking uh, a really good coach no matter where they're from. And it'll be fun to see 
of how that all unfolds. Uh, guys, that's going to do it here for this episode, uh, recapping the regionals. And then next week, we will dive a little bit more deep into the Frozen Four, Minnesota, and their first uh, semifinal matchup. Hopefully, more to come after that against Boston University. And hopefully, um, if they're able to get past it, who we think they will face in the national championship game. Of course, the Frozen Four happening in Tampa at MLA Arena, April 6th on Thursday, the semifinal games. Uh, Gophers get the early um, the four o'clock game and then Michigan and Quinnipiac get the seven o'clock game down there in the great state of Florida. Thank you everybody for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at MN underscore NCAA and we'll see you back here next week.